0: So if I have not had the privilege of meeting you, I've been here for about three, four months and there's still several of you who I have not actually met. So um, if you don't know me, my name is Asa, one of the pastors here. Uh, I'm going to be stepping in this week and next uh, for Pastor Brian. He and his family are away uh, on a much needed uh, break. So I'm excited to be here with you. Uh, We are in a practice series, which we do a few times throughout the year. It's a way to say, we take a break from a normal teaching series and we say, what are some ways that we could actually practice our faith in Jesus? Be disciples of Jesus who actually do the things that that Jesus did and become like Jesus. So the one we're in right now is called Preaching the Gospel. Uh, Some of you see that and you are petrified. Some of you uh, might have other experiences with it. Some of you are like, yeah, let's do this. Um, So uh, we're in the third week of the Preaching the Gospel practice series. Uh, there, the last two weeks, uh, Pastor Brian spoke on what is the gospel and what is not the gospel, which would be pretty important if you're going to preach something. It's good to know what it is and have some definition. If you've not uh, heard those, you can head back to our website or YouTube and listen to them. It's a good uh, foundation or a primer uh, for where we're going in this uh, practice series. So now we're going to jump into uh, some of the more hands-on practical components of preaching the gospel. Uh, So this week we're talking about hospitality. Uh, Hospitality, uh, when it comes to mind, like a social thought behind it, usually is I invite people over and I make a meal or I do some kind of an activity. And it kind of ends there. And that that can be one version of hospitality, but I'm going to suggest that that is perhaps a little narrow and that maybe we can broaden our understanding of it today. So one thing the hospitality is not, I'm gonna use an illustration of Monopoly, Monopoly House. Uh, if you ever play Monopoly, uh, you know the point is not to love your neighbor well. The point of Monopoly is to bleed them dry of everything they have. And um, the point is to buy these properties and you build houses and eventually hotels. And again, someone lands on it, and you're not like, hey, welcome to stay. I hope you have a great time. It's give me your cash. You know, that, that's, that's the point of monopoly. And I think sometimes in our culture, we have a monopoly mentality when it comes to hospitality. Where perhaps at its worst, it is completely self-driven and self-focused. Where I want to do something for you for uh, an end. It's, it's I'm driving towards something. I want to wine and dine you to get something from you as a means to an end. Uh, At My day job that I was in New Jersey working at American Auto Wire, one of the roles there, I was the purchasing agent for a while, and the vendors would come in and take me out to Philly Diner or uh, Vito's Pizza or whatever and try to have lunch and and kind of uh, schmooze me up until I could buy their product from them. That's just the way it worked. So that will be in its its, uh, most crass form. Uh, More often, I think we have mixed motivations uh, we, have, we genuinely want to be nice and do something nice. Uh, man, there's other things mixed in perhaps. Um, I, I want some kind of social kickback. I want to fit in with the crowd. I want to get an invitation myself to someone else's house. I want to feel good about this group I'm in. I want to clean my floors, not necessarily because I'm thinking about you and your comfort, but because I don't want you thinking I'm a slob or something like that. If we're honest, there's I think oftentimes in our lives of following Jesus, there's like this weird elixir of motivation. And to be fair, sometimes you really just want to be nice. You really just want to do something kind for someone else. And that's that happens as well. But my question is, what if hospitality could be so much more? What if it's a bit broader than a monopoly house? And so... The, God, the, the, the idea of preaching the gospel here, really a natural way of doing it, one of many, but a natural way of doing it is through hospitality and for two reasons I'll give you. First, it enacts tangibly something that God has done to us. Jesus has made his home with us. Emmanuel means God with us. Where Jesus, as the message puts it, he moved into our neighborhood and he came with us and and was with us and welcomed us so we get to in hospitality it's a way of actually giving a tangible version of that to someone else so they can experience it on a on a a very tangible human to human level but not only that but it also provides a really great environment to just talk like hey you're a human i'm a human Awesome, we have something in common and we can talk about life and hear their stories and I have a story to share with you and provides a really good space for that. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to go with uh, a working definition of what hospitality could be. And then we're going to look at some building blocks. What are the components that make up what I'll call a biblical version of hospitality? One that preaches the gospel naturally. And then we're going to look at maybe some, uh, some examples, a good example of this in the scripture and, and a not so good example of it in the scripture and just to get our heads around it. Uh, so we're going to look at two passages. If you have a Bible, uh, grab it out. If you, have, if you don't own a Bible, the one you can take the one that's in the, in the back of the pew. Take it home, our gift to you. You don't have to tell anyone about it, but please take it. Or there's some good Bible apps out there on your phone or whatever. We're going to be in Luke chapter seven. And then we're also going to have a passage in Luke 19. So a little bit of a heads up here. Uh, well, I'm going to be focusing primarily on Luke chapter 7. Uh, in the podcast this week, I'll deal a little bit more with Luke 19 and a few other things just so you have a heads up. But right now I'm going to have uh, Matt and Jack uh, come on up and they are going to, to read these two passages. It's, it's a Luke 7 uh, verse 36 to the end and then, um, you, then you can flip over to Luke 19.
1: morning a reading from the gospel of luke chapter 7 verses 36 to 50 one of the pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the pharisee's house and took his place at the table and behold a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at table in the pharisee's house brought an alabaster flask of ointment And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt.
2: Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see whom Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he, is, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost.
0: Thanks, guys. What a privilege to be able to read scripture publicly with your son. That's an awesome thing. So I said we're going to start with a working definition of hospitality. I'm going to call it this. We're going to call it having an open space to welcome anyone. Having an open space to welcome anyone. You see, it... While it can be an open home and having a meal, clearly we we see in the situation with Simon the Pharisee from Luke 7, he did that. He had the home. He had the meal. And somehow Jesus still said, in so many words, he's not really being hospitable. (laughs) Um, Hospitality includes a a home, perhaps, and a meal or something on activity, but it can be so much broader and wider than that. Simon was no dummy. You don't get to be a Pharisee because you're not intelligent, you're not aware of details. He was perfectly aware that there were social courtesies that you would have shown your guest. And he did none of them. Like the whole kiss of greeting, it could have been uh, giving feet, washing uh, the supplies with the water and the rag and so forth. He didn't do any of that. So... What happened here is that he also only invited his friends. Simon would have invited, most likely, if he was a Pharisee, his other Pharisee friends, other people on the same religious level of the pecking order of the day. And why Jesus was there, I've wondered why he invited Jesus whenever I read this. I mean, was Jesus like, you know, keep your friends close and your enemies closer? I mean, Jesus was already making waves at this point, and so why was he inviting him over? Like, is this the circus act? Like, let's see what this guy's up to. Like, that's really, I want to get to know the, the whys and the wherefores with this guy. I don't know. I'm just kind of making that up in my mind. But somehow Jesus, he was still in that itinerant rabbi preaching kind of area in the social pecking order. And those people were invited. Now, one of the customs in that time period in that area, was that if you have a dinner party, you would also be able to, or you should customarily, allow other lower-class people to come and watch. That'd be awkward. Like, that's just not right. I I guess it was normal in that time that they would come around the eating area or perhaps the courtyard, and they would watch. And some people even say that uh, this was to, to... go in line with the, the law that says, hey, the, you know, leave some of your field, like, don't harvest all of it, leave some of it for the poor. And this is a way for essentially you know, leftovers or scraps to go to the, the lower class. So his friends were invited and these other people were begrudgingly allowed to be there perhaps. And that's not hospitality. They had a house, sure. Had a meal, probably a good one was not hospitality. But you see, on a contrast, the the woman, and we'll also talk about Zacchaeus, they both welcomed Jesus. They had an open space that crossed a, a social boundary. They're the sinners. They're the losers, the outcasts. No one likes them. And they took a risk. Think about it. Like, you could get hammered socially. To... Accept and allow and welcome Jesus into your space. This woman, it wasn't even her house. It'd be like saying, I'm going to go to some person who lives in a mansion over here, knock on their door, watch them eat, weird, Uh, and then I'm going to go ahead and use your house to invite your guest into a welcome space. Can you get with the bizarreness of this? Yet this woman, Jesus, is showing us, this is an example of true hospitality. Look how she's loving me. You didn't provide any, even just the basic social courtesies. And look what she's doing. She's doing things that are like like versions of the social niceties, but deeply emotional, emotionally involved, and attuned and loving ways. I'm not just washing your feet with some water, with my tears. She welcomed Jesus into what I'll call the space of the uninvited. Same with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you uh, you know, Jesus kind of invited himself over, which is pretty awesome. But then Zacchaeus presumably opened up his space, again, to welcome someone who was in a different level, a kind of a higher level of the the society. I mean, he was a tax collector. No one liked him. Everyone hated him because he stole their money. How would you feel if someone stole your money and was getting away with it, and it was your friend next to you in church? That's awkward too. All kinds of awkward this morning. Isn't it great? <laughs> and this is what happened. Zacchaeus invited Jesus. He welcomed him into a space. Doesn't matter if you cross the social boundary. But the question is, what, what goes into this idea of creating a space and opening a space to welcome anyone? What goes into this? And there's two components, two building blocks that we're going to look at. One, the first one, is that we have open hands to love each other. Open hands to love each other. Love, like our society is so weird. I love a taco, I love my wife. (laughs) Like, and I love tacos, it's really good. But I love my wife, that's different. Like, one is I just enjoy it and whatever. Love, according to the wonderful Prophets of the 1990s DC talk says, love is a verb. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's probably a good thing. Um, uh, If you do, you're like, yeah, I can get with that. Uh, Love is a verb. Love is something that I'm going to do something that costs me something for your benefit. It's, It's an action word that I'm going to sacrifice. You see, the woman had this ointment of sorts. Probably not cheap. It's not like you just go to, you know, CVS or, or, or a department store and, and pick up a thing of perfume and get it for Christmas. Like, it was probably a fairly costly item. It cost her something to then to demonstrate this love to Jesus. Zacchaeus, same thing. Dude was rich. And he's like, look, I'm going to take my budget and I'm going to cut it in half and give part of it, that, the one half of it to the... Uh, to the poor. Could you imagine doing that? And now whatever remains, I'm going to pay back all the people I defrauded. Now he was a chief tax collector, which means he probably had like little underling cronies that he was responsible for, like down the org chart. He's like, if I've been involved in defrauding people, I'm going to pay them back fourfold. Whoa. Yeah, that's love. Meeting Jesus like that does change you a little bit. but I said that it's the, this idea of having open hands to welcome each other. So there's a reciprocal, reciprocating version of this or part of this that, that says, I want to love you and then it, this, something about you loving me back and serving me back creates or solidifies this relationship. So you see, not only is Zacchaeus and the woman showing love to Jesus, but you see Jesus loving them right back. I mean, look, think about it. Think of the social abuse that could happen in either of these situations. I mean, it's already bad enough that you're hated. And now this could get even worse for you. But Jesus does not do that. He dignifies them, he honors them. He identifies with them. With this in this woman's case, he publicly defends her. I would even argue at the end when he says, Go, your, your, your faith has saved you, go in peace just kind of imagining here. He, he says, Look, I want to send you off on a good note before any other weird mumblings, any other ways and reasons to dishonor you start to come up in, in, in this now what would be an extremely awkward dinner conversation. So he's defending this woman that everyone thinks is worthless. What's the basis for this, though? Why love? Why give of yourself? Why spend anything, time, talent, or treasure? And I'm going to argue this, that this this foundational component is that we then have open hearts to receive forgiveness. Because Jesus said it, right? He said, if you've been forgiven much, you love much. If you've been forgiven little, you love little. I, I I, this, is one, this parable, I really appreciate it because it shows matters of degree. It's not necessarily like a, a black and white thing. It's the, the more you perceive your sin, the more you're able to receive forgiveness. If you have a high perception of your own sin, you can have a high rec, a reception of forgiveness. Or inversely, you have low perception of your sin. You have a low ability to receive forgiveness. And Jesus, Jesus used this parable so winsomely with Simon the Pharisee. Again, Simon's no dummy. He knows exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, without saying it, "Simon, you're the one who thinks you don't owe anything, who thinks that your sin debt is no big deal. That's why you're not loving me well." And He, kind of, he actually invites Simon to say it for himself. So far from blasting Simon, I would almost say Jesus is being somewhat gracious, very gracious to Simon, calling him to change. I'm gonna give a few ways of illustrating this because I love this. If you, if you get to know me and how the things that I kind of major on, it's this idea of there's a, there's a never-ending ability to grow in your understanding of who Jesus is and how much I've sinned against him and how much then my life can change. So think of it this way. One, God's love is like water, or his forgiveness is like water. And you can see your sin, uh, the, 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 the hole or the cavity that your sin made as the size of a thimble. How much water can you fit in a thimble? About that much. Now, if you then see your sin, the hole that your sin made as like a swimming pool, Okay, now 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 we're on to something. Now it's different. Now it's a it's a much larger scale, exponentially larger, and it requires more of God's forgiveness because the whole is larger. It's not that you actually become more sinful, it's that you recognize the truth of your sinfulness. But what if yours and my sin is more like the cavity in which the ocean sits? A garden hose isn't going to cut it to fill that. You need nothing short than the creator of the universe to forgive you that much. And that's what I'm proposing. That's what I'm seeing here. I'm seeing that Jesus is saying, look, if you only knew a freckle of how much you don't deserve the love of a holy God, and that I have come to seek and save the lost. If you only knew. Another way of thinking about it is, uh, you're let's say you're a law-abiding citizen. To your knowledge, you haven't really broken the law or whatever, and the police officer knocks on the door. Hello, officer. Yeah. Hey, I want to let you know that all of the charges have been dropped. Come again. What charges? Well, or what do you normally say? Officer, is there a problem? And at first you're probably confused and then maybe a little bit offended or defensive. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. What are my neighbors going to think that the cop's here? <laughs> Whatever. And he goes away and then you maybe like say a few words under your breath at how ridiculous this is and your life doesn't really change. Next story. Next version. You have multiple misdemeanors, pretty much a hardened criminal, and warrants out for your arrest in every state. Same police officer. Hey, good morning. I just want to let you know that all the charges have been dropped. Slightly different, wouldn't you think? Just a little bit different. All of a sudden, now you can still make a choice to either turn over a new leaf or to continue in the way and get all those misdemeanors back. (laughs) But I would argue that there's something different that happens inside of you. Like a, what? I will do whatever you say. Can I just ride around in your car all day? Like, whatever you want. Teach me how to follow the law, please. Like, whatever. You would probably go a little nuts inside, if not outside, uh, thirdly, thirdly if, you have your, um, if you've not been here, on the back of the practice guide, uh, there's like the story tool that we've been looking at uh, a few weeks ago. Let me use the story tool to illustrate the point. If you, uh, the story tool is just basically looking at an arch uh, narrative of scripture that says, hey, you've been created for good. And that unfortunately through the fall, we have been damaged by evil and our choices to sin. Uh, and then you've been redeemed by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and made new and gifted for life. And then the last little uh, phase is you have been restored, and you are then equipped and engaged to bring healing to the world. It's kind of like the, the overarching story of the scripture. So let's look at what Simon the Pharisee's story may have been God is holy, God is one. Shema Yisrael, the Lord is one. And the problem is is that is sinfulness. The sinfulness of the people is why the kingdom of God has not been restored, but not so much me. I follow the law to the T. In fact, I create laws of my own so I don't accidentally break the actual laws. (laughs) And so I don't really need Forgiveness much. What I really need is all these other loser sinners around me to get it straight. And so I'll be an example. I will be the example. And then maybe they'll stop sinning, and then maybe we can get this kingdom back on track. Not a whole lot of love. And a complete blindness to one's own sinfulness. How about the woman's story or Zacchaeus's story? Can you believe it? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like you don't get this. I met this guy named Jesus, and I, I, I think he's something more than a rabbi. And and I, I can't I can't explain it, but he he did something to me, and and, and loves me in a way that reminded me that I'm made for so much more. And I I can't believe I've been I've been trying to fill this void in my life with so many other things, and. I can't even believe it. Like now that I have eyes to see it, I feel I've been really just making a mess of my life, and I've been looking for something to fill this hole with—with money or with sex or with whatever else. I'm just trying to fill up this void that I have. But but he turned me around. He did something, and he he said I'm forgiven and he loves me, and, and, and I don't know how to even take that. I'm like, how do I process this? Uh, uh, I can't, uh, how do I do anything other than, what do you want me to do? Let me follow you. You, you said, oh, follow me, okay. I'm, I'm gonna follow you then. I'm gonna follow you wherever you go. You say, love, okay, I'm gonna love. You say, jump, okay, how high? All right, well, I'm gonna, what do I do? I, I wanna do this. I wanna love well like you love. Do you see a difference? One is flatline and dead the other is freaking out a little bit the other rightly understands one's own sinfulness and then finds this something happens inside where you it bubbles up this motivation to then love well to do what Jesus did right that's what we call disciple be with Jesus become like Jesus do the things Jesus did so what do we do with it all What do we do, like, practically? We walk out of here, you know, the preacher guy freaked me out, and woke me up, and I almost, like, choked on my coffee and whatever. Fine. What do you do with it? I'm going to propose that what we do is that we actually uh, reverse the order of the, the points of the sermon, if you will. Foundationally speaking, the first part of this is to once again engage the forgiveness of God and to receive it. Not just the examples in the Bible, but you personally. Me, personally. The Bible says that we have new mercies every morning. What is mercy? Not getting what I deserve. A.K.A. forgiveness. And why do they need to be new every morning? Because I somehow am able to invent new evil every morning. And I know some of you have been following Jesus for decades and you have really genuinely have grown in this and you've grown in your understanding. I want to encourage you, keep going. Give me in the younger generation an example to follow, of one who is in, in a humble way seeing their own sinfulness and then receiving this forgiveness of God, receiving the ocean of his grace. That rebirths something inside of me that I can now make an intentional, volitional choice to then follow Jesus. So start with that forgiveness. Maybe it's time for you to reconnect with the reality of that. The prophet Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Implication no one. David said, search me, try me, try my heart. See if there be any grievous way in me. This is King David, a man after God's own heart. I am nowhere near him. (laughs) You know, the the Apostle Paul is like, I don't do what I want to do. I do what I don't want to do. And ah, who's going to save me from this body of death? And he wrote like the majority of the New Testament. (laughs) I didn't do that. This forgiveness, as you let yourself settle and soak and bask in it, will then rise up something inside of you. This faith will rise up this love. My favorite verse in the Bible, we love because God first loved us. 1 John four nineteen. It's my favorite verse in the entire Bible. As he loves you first, you then have something to give others, some love to give others. It's not just automatic, by the way. It is a choice that you're going to do this but you have something to give. You can't give what you don't got. But you can find ways to love. And then one of those ways that you can actually manifest this love is through hospitality. And you don't even, as we've seen, need a house to do it or any cooking skills. I can cook scrambled eggs and I think I learned how to make a quesadilla the other night. Not very good at it, but I can still be hospitable. Praise God for Ray who makes such good food. it's hospitable uh, in a higher quality way with, when it comes to food. But as you do this, what better way? I'll say it again as I said in the beginning. It enacts, makes tangible the way that God has come to us and loved us and welcomed us and created a space for us and welcomed us into. And it provides a great environment to listen to stories and share your story and this really creates a great way to do that. So what spaces could you open up? Let's get down to some like brass tacks here. i will give some examples. It won't be that maybe every one of these will connect directly with you, but perhaps some of them will make you have a train of thought. So first, what are some ways you can say this to yourself? Because Jesus first loved and forgave me, I can therefore do something, right? I can use, I'll start off with this, I can use a home, right? Because that is a way of doing it. I can use my home to welcome family, neighbors, college students. I I say family on purpose. I think uh, with the busyness of lives and uh, I have my own four children, sometimes I forget to be hospitable to my own kids or my own spouse. I think that that needs to be discussed because we might go by and assume that that happens and completely forget your own family. Where um, it's not just about upholding a traditional value of uh, having family dinner, as good as that is. It's about, I want to create a space for my children to be able to come and feel welcomed and have a, be a part of something, and I can hear their stories from the day, and I can share my stories with them about how I saw God. We like to play I Spy God in our, sometimes in our house. Something like that. Or your, your spouse. Like, sometimes I know life is crazy and your two ships crossing in the night and all this, but it, it's still, are we making space for our spouse to welcome them into it? Now, some of you are like, I can't stand my spouse right now, and that's the real thing. doesn't mean it's not something we can, as followers of Jesus, work towards. It could, be, it could be neighbors. You know, when we lived in New Jersey, in me New Jersey, um, it was great. West Fifth Avenue was like the best street, I think, in the entire state of New Jersey. It was great. It was a dead-end street, tons of kids. We all knew each other. There's no need for neighborhood crime watch because we all just did it, <laughs> like, and called each other and whatever. It wasn't perfect, but it was a great street to have neighbors over on front porches, back porches. And, you know, sometimes they thought it was weird to come over for a meal, but it's not like we didn't invite them, and sometimes we did. We had a, we had a block party and, and ate with each other. That's a great thing. And here we don't have any of that. We don't know anyone, uh, not many people, at least on our where we're living currently. But you can do that. I'm gonna give you an example. So we're going to a block around here to get to know people. And I said to my family after church a couple weeks ago, "Let's uh, let's go just to introduce ourselves to the neighbors." What? (laughs) And I'm only doing it because, like, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus in this. I would rather be home staring at the wall. (laughs) But let's do this. And then you know what? We knocked on the door, and once they figured out that we weren't trying to sell them anything, it was like this whole different demeanor. And wouldn't you know they were nice people? (laughs) Wouldn't you know that they got to hear stories? Did we share the gospel with them in the first two minutes? No, we did not. Is there a relationship there where I can say hello? and actually have as I walk by and say hello on a first-name basis. Absolutely. And some of the nuts and bolts of this, some, of, some tips from my life, my failures, <laughs> uh, will also be in some of the podcasts, uh, one of the podcasts this week. So I won't spend too much time on it now. But it is, in fact, possible. But like Jesus did and like the woman and Zacchaeus did, they had to cross over this awkward social thing in order to do it question is, what's going to drive you to do that other than you being forgiven of your cosmic debt? College students. I'm going to give a shameless plug for Jonas, uh, Pastor Jonas and his wife Beth. They they are involved in college ministry and they're starting a restarting up like a college hospitality thing. Here's a really super practical way that you could show love and hospitality to a student who may be from another country or another area who needs a home away from home. You could be like their college parents. You could do that. It could happen. It'd be really cool. I know I would have probably appreciated that if I was in college. I still. So that's so shameless plug. Find Pastor Jonas and ask him how you can help. You can also open up a lunch table to students who no one likes. Who's that kid at school who everyone picks on? Who's that kid that's socially awkward? I see people pointing like, (laughs) (laughs) yes, socially awkward over here. Great. That was awesome. But invite that. You can create a space at a lunch table. It is possible. I've done it. It's weird, and it does feel awkward at first. And then it gets to be so incredibly special, I can't even give you words to describe it. And if you're homeschool or if you have homeschooled children, is there a kid on the street that no one likes? What would, look like, what would it look like to create a space for them? We had that too in New Jersey. It was pretty cool. There was, there was, a, there was one time we were having Bible time after... Um, after dinner and heard a knock on the door i just read the passage and a friend walked in like hey come on in grab a cookie and dessert and we'll do it read the whole passage again knock 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 okay another kid walks in hey grab a cookie let's start over all right knock 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 oh my goodness okay and then the lord's like hey this is a good thing Okay, yeah, right, right. And then two other kids walked in, and then I think one more time, knock, knock, knock. And then a kid comes in the back door, I'm like, okay, sh- shall I just go out and get the bullhorn? Anyone else want to come? But it was great it was to open up the home and over- overcome a little bit of that. And for the, one of the kids, was the kid that, like, it was a little bit tough to be around. Um, it, that can happen. Uh, if, you're, uh, if you work somewhere, and you could use a restaurant as a place to welcome your coworkers into. You could use Arby's or Chick-fil-A or whatever uh, to create a space where they're welcome and just treat them. It might cost you, your, cost you money. Yes, it might. Yes. And your time. Yes. Yes. Or if you don't have a long enough break, how about after work? To go out to a restaurant or do the happy hour thing or go to a bar. If alcohol isn't like uh, is something you're uncomfortable with, get a pop. I'm from Buffalo. I call it pop. So get a pop. Jesus probably would have been hanging out at the hanging out with people because they're the ones who everyone thinks are the losers and the rejects are the ones who suck on society probably would have been talking at least sometimes just saying you could use a classroom to welcome children into another shameless plug for children's ministry you could yeah right yeah you don't have to be a certified teacher or even have the gift of teaching to do that I think there's a weird like conception I've heard, kind of mumbled, or just kind of here and there, that that's a thing. No, no eh, wrong. Now, th- those things help. Those can be helpful and good. But you also, like 95% of it is are you aware of how much you've been forgiven? And do you want to find a way to manifest that love to others? Maybe these children. We can teach you how to uh, teach a lesson or get a message across. Kristen has a great uh, video that basically gives some how-tos, and you can shadow people. and the, the question is not, can you teach or have your license or blah, blah, blah. The question is, do you want to manifest hospitality this way? That's the question. Uh, how about this? The old rail trail. I love that. I, actually, I love that little thing around here. I like walking. And, or wherever you walk or jog. Um, I used to walk a mile and a half from Runamie, New Jersey, to where I, my day job in Belmar, New Jersey. Uh, long black horse pike right 168 kind of a major road hundreds of people i've seen over 13 years of doing that hundreds and it's a great space to welcome people into where they feel welcome now i've had a couple of people kind of like scream at me and be weird like i don't know why but that's like one percent the rest of people were like shocked that someone actually acknowledged their existence and then like wow you actually want to talk you could do that you could just small talk like, hey, how, how's it going? My name's Asa. What's your name? And again, I, on the podcast, I'll give a few more blips from my experience on doing that. But if people want to tell me, oh, the whole random thing isn't cool, yeah, I don't buy that. But <laughs> you can preach the gospel to anyone at any point and make them use a, a type of a broader definition of hospitality to reach out to them. You could use a Dollar Tree. We used to do that too sometimes at the, that was at the last uh, community group I led in New Jersey. You could... Everyone, uh, everyone pitches in, get a, you know, some $10 gift cards and just walk around and someone's there. Hey, we just want, we're out, we just want to encourage you and let you know that you are loved. And we want to encourage you, here's a gift card just to let you know that someone cares about you. You can even say, but I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And sometimes the Lord even uh, led us to like pray for some of these people. And some of them were like not interested, but many more were actually quite interested and ended up sharing most of their story in the middle of the Dollar Tree. But it wasn't because I'm like, whack with a Bible and do you know where you're going to go if you're going to die? No, no, no. Please don't do that. Please, please, please. But we didn't do that. It was just, hey, you're here, I'm here. Awesome. I want to encourage you. It's amazing how people respond to that. And again, it's not just like, it's a mark, like a salesman. It's, no, like genuine love. You're not a mark to God. You're a human that he created and he loves. So you can treat other people that way in the middle of the dollar store. We have some mission partners, like local mission partners. Uh, recently, we had Kim Felix from North American uh, Welcome Center uh, for uh, welcoming, primarily now, Haitian refugees. That's, a, that's like a silver platter that you could say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this space to welcome people in. So the question is, where's the Lord leading you? You don't have to necessarily reach out to everyone, but surely the Holy Spirit is going to bring you to Someone. So hopefully these thoughts kind of seeded your thinking and gave you something to consider.